Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Tesla giving away free power walls, the rise of EVs, lifestyle accessories, Hondas going electric, a big announcement from them, and the world's most powerful tidal turbine is launching. As usual, I'm joined by the guy who forced me to watch Mortal Kombat on a repeat this weekend, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Good, Matt. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Is there a special not live episode of, of Vice Versa where I'm actually going to be taking my first airplane flight in, has it been 15 or 16 months or something like that since uh, fully charged in Austin of last year? So wow. as a result, we're pre-recording this. There will be no Q&A section, but nonetheless, the show must go on. We'll air it on Thursday. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I, I put out a video this week on uh, basically EV trucks versus diesel. Can they actually compete? How does battery hold up? Um, it's something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time of just like, well, how, how, well, how well will they stand up? It's like they claim it's going to have 300 miles or 400 miles of range, but it's going to be towing 80,000 pounds. How does that work? So I looked into it. it was, it's, it's an interesting topic. I'm pretty sure you're interested in that too. A topic very near and dear to my heart because I want to eventually get my Cybertruck and get a trailer and do some like U.S. touring and just take like maybe a couple of months and, and see the country. So I'm really curious how how much does 500 miles of range, what changes when you start towing stuff. So very good video. I saw it this morning. Definitely worth checking out. I have a video this week as well. My video this week is on micro factories. It's a video Matt's actually already done where he had a chance to talk with Arrival, who's got this really novel approach to how we could maybe turn the tide of bigger and bigger and bigger monolithic factories and maybe go for more distributed factories, which has been a trend in other uh, parts of business. So that is my video this week. And uh, we'll have links to both as always in the description. Mine's not out yet at the time of recording, but it will be by the time of airing. So we'll get that out there. Shall we get started? Yeah, let's get started. So for the first story, we're going to circle back to the big news of the past few weeks when it comes to Tesla Solar. Uh, Tesla just had their quarterly kind of recap. And in that recap, Elon admitted that they grossly miscalculated how much it was going to cost to install solar roofs, which is why the prices went up. It wasn't that they were just arbitrarily increasing the prices. It was because they were refactoring how they actually calculated them to make them more accurate, which is why it happened. Uh, which leads into the related story, which is Tesla has started offering free power walls to people who got the big price increases on their solar roofs as a big kind of mea culpa and an apology for all of that kind of stuff shaking out. The one interesting note about this of the reporting is that the only people that are seeing this right now are people that had their costs go up between like nine dollars to $12,000 for the increase of costs. So if you had your solar roof cost double, which a lot of people did, I know somebody personally who had theirs go from 50,000 to over 90,000, they're not getting this offer, probably because the gap is just too big to overcome. But if it's somewhat close, it's, it looking, it's looking like they've been giving people free Powerwall offers. Um, this is just, it, it comes back to the whole thing for me of, <laughs> I can't believe they did not, one, they didn't see this coming, that they didn't understand that installing a roof is going to be a very difficult thing to do and to calculate, and you can't just kind of have a one-size-fits-all kind of pricing scheme on a website. That surprises me. And then the other side of it is they don't have like a, a dedicated communications department or PR department. And if there were people that this was their job, they would have been looking at this ahead. So before the announcements came out, they could have gotten ahead of it and maybe had stuff like this lined up and ready to go to try to mitigate this issue of 
just kind of like, oh yeah, your your power, your solar roof just went up by $50,000 or $20,000. Having the messaging prepared would have avoided this entire debacle over the past several weeks. It's, it's, I bring it up again, again, it's communications is Tesla's Achilles heel. They have to get better at this. They have to, or it's just going to bite them in the butt and it's going to cause people to lose faith in them slowly over time. It's going to erode that trust in the company. And I obviously don't want to see that happen. So it's like, they need to get better at communications. What is your take on all this? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting take on it. Um, if they had a communications, like a PR division, then even installers who've been saying this, like I think I saw in your video and in mine, uh, Good Faith Energy in my case and Weddell and Sons in your case, both installers told us, you know, we have customers telling us, hey, we got a quote from Tesla for $50,000, but it'll take, for them, it'll take nine months. You guys could do it next month, but your quote is 70000 what gives? And they kept telling them, this is what it'll cost. And I think they were making this information known to Tesla, but there's no mark, there's no department to, it's like <laughs> writing a letter in the mail and there's no, there's no address to, to ship it to. So if there was a department who could be like, interesting, so you're saying that our website is saying this, but really in your heart of hearts, if you were to break this down, pay your costs, pay your people, uh, disposal, all of it, the cost really comes out closer to here. Interesting. Maybe we need to retweak this and they could take this to the guys who do the calculators on their website and, 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 and shuffle, but there is no such department, which I think I'm with you. As you, you said this same thing last week, I, I really think they should probably man a little, at least like a little skeleton crew of people who could, yeah. who could get this feedback because this isn't, this wouldn't have been news to them if they just opened their ears. I Mo, the CEO of good faith energy that I spoke with, he kept saying this for months. And so this isn't a new message. It's just maybe just finally the realization of it all is, is happening. Yeah, yeah. I liken this kind of to, have you ever installed like flooring or things like that? No, no, no. So I did all the, I did this like click style flooring. So they have little grooves and they just kind of click into place. Really awesome. It's just a normal wood floor. I've had it in for five years. It looks perfect. But installing it is a lot like this roof. Each piece goes in unbelievably quickly. You're flying. You think you're like, oh, I'm going to be done with this in time for lunch, right? Yeah. But then you grind to a halt at the end because now you have to take a piece and you flip it around and you get it to the edge and you make sure you have enough gaps. You don't, you leave for expansion and contraction, which roofs have all this built into it. You might make a little mark and then you take it outside and you're walking all the way outside, make one cut to check. Nope, a little more, go back out. <laughs> and so like 90% of it happens like that. And then that the edges, the little parts around door openings and little protrusions, all that, all the specialty work that happens there is like 80% of the time. This is exactly the sort of thing. If you just look at like area, and you can say, oh, there's N square feet. Let's go. That, that that tells you nothing when there could be protrusions or some roofs are just very simple and plain. They're just big, flat, open spots. Others have a ton of little. So these are the kinds of things, you know, I think they'll figure this out. This wave of PR they're getting is bad, but the product is still fantastic. We've both yep. covered this thing. It's such a cool thing. And don't tell me, Matt, if you didn't have a roof or solar, like I have a roof and solar, you wouldn't want that. I know I would. Um, I would love it. I don't know if yes. I can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford it right now, but, but yes, I would love it. But man, I would want it. Right. Yeah. So I, I hope this wave of kind of kind of passes them by, uh, you know, the new cycle forgets about it. And I hope they learn from this. And I think there is some, is some very concrete things that they could do, kind of to your point about get this feedback and have some a team that's out looking for this to be able to catch this stuff early. Um, so 
hopefully this will be the last of it. I I know it kind of sucks for everybody who had to wait for this, but new products and hopefully they do get better at this. Yeah, I agree. All right. So next up is, is something that I've been really wildly fascinated and interested in lately. I've been looking at doing some sort of a little adventure, you know, and here in the U.S., we, we take for granted how huge the country is. And we have a couple of electric pickup trucks about to hit the market. So these next two stories about that. This one is about Rivian introducing a whole new slew of really awesome um, first party, I guess, in this case, accessories for their R1T pickup and the R1S SUV. This is a little uh, camper on top of the bed in the case of the R1T. There's also the equivalent kind of an overlanding camping setup for the top of the R1S. This means you can leave all the interior space for cargo, all that you're carrying with you. And at night, you just pop up this little pop-up tent. You have a little stairway up and you can you can overland in it. Overlanding is a, is a really cool concept. And it makes me think of the Toyota 4Runner and the Toyota Tacoma, which are two popular things. The Toyota 4Runner is one of those. I had a friend from college who took a Toyota 4Runner and did exactly this. They went all the way to Patagonia in South America. And oh, wow. Yeah, their their entire footprint, they fit. It was just the two of them, so they didn't have two kids and stuff like we would have. <laughs> but they fit everything they needed in their in their Forerunner. And to me, the R1S just screams that class of car, even though I think it is actually bigger, has a third row option, which the Forerunner never did. But it has that adventure lifestyle look. It's built into it. And seeing first-party accessories like this is just such a cool... Um, cool look at what's going to be possible. It goes on and on. Look at all these different uh, rack configurations. Because of their big pass-through door, this is a yeah. just a nice little bench or table that just pulls out. I and mean, You just pull up some chairs and have a little, have a little, uh, little tea time, if you will. And, and even floor mats, Matt. They're even making floor mats. Look <laughs> at that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, this is... This is the first of it. Do you want to talk about this one before I talk about the second one? Or I, I was going to say, it's like, I love what Rivian's doing. And like all these things are so on brand for what they're establishing themselves to be, which is the lifestyle adventure brand. I mean, their their networks, the, even the adventure network. And like the whole, like this tent is just killer. But the one that's that so caught, cool. Yeah, the one that caught my eye though was that, that, that shelf that you pull out. They're calling it the Cyberlander. That thing is so cool. It's just like, it's just a table that comes out that you can use as a multi-purpose surface for whatever you need. It's like we've already seen the um, the cooking uh, little thing that they've got that you can pull out. It's like I just love the idea that you could pull out. You could be cooking. You could have a nice little table to prepare food on. Then you could climb up on top of the truck to go to bed. It's like it's this self-contained, beautiful, well-designed vehicle and ecosystem that they're creating. And I, you know this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know there's going to be even more stuff coming beyond this. I, I can't wait to see what comes out. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is just the beginning, like you mentioned. And on that note, the the vehicle that we both have reservations for, and yes. so do a million other people, <laughs> the yes. Tesla Cybertruck, this is the Cyberlander. Um, love the branding, love the name. And I'll just play the video. I think it'll work. Look at this thing. This is so fascinating because it fits within the footprint of the the, the storage area in the bed of the pickup. And look at the roof and the, the, the angles all just line up. There's solar on top. And so I believe, you know, it, it's actually like you know, electronic actuators. It'll pop up into this full-size unit, which has a sink, heated floors, 
cooktops, <laughs> induction cooktops. There's room to sleep. There's room to work. Look at this. And I, I think they did a good job of capturing just for a person or two, this could totally work. Again, this, would, this wouldn't work for me and kids. Um, but look at that. Just uh, the shower. A shower. There's, there's a sink. <laughs> yeah. And they mentioned, uh, now you know had a really cool interview with the CEO of this company. And they, they asked him questions like, you know, where does the water go? And, you know, where does some of these kind of systems, how would, it, how would it work? And it turns out that there is an underfloor area in the, the bottom of the Cybertruck. Uh-huh. You know, our Model 3s have that little under sub component area where kind of like the, your spare wheel would go. So there's a similar space in the Cybertruck. And that's where you'd have like room for fresh water, maybe even like, like not uh, like sewage water tanks and stuff. Yeah, and that's where you'd house and store it all. So they're still waiting to get the final plan because I I don't think the Cybertruck is like a hundred percent complete. Yeah. But as soon as it is, they could tweak a couple of things. I'm sure they've built it to be pretty modular, and start to produce them. And they're not cheap. I think they're like around forty thousand or so. <laughs> I was gonna bring um, that. I was gonna bring that up. It's it's a yeah. cost of a car. You could get a Model Three for the cost of that thing. That's okay. the one. That's, that's true. The one, that's the one negative. <laughs> I could get a that's whole second true. car. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about your friend who you made the video about who who's got that huge old fifth wheel. Um, now his rabbits and his cats and his dogs they might not all fit, but him and his wife they don't have kids. Yep. And if they were a little more, if they were on board with this minimalistic approach, they could they could actually make it work in that. Um, I just find it fascinating. You know, part of why I brought these stories up, Matt, um, this is maybe the negative side of it. You know, I'm kind of, I, I, I keep joking with my wife. Like, I'm over the coronavirus. I, I want to get back to life. I want to travel. I have a trip coming up. But parts of the parts of the world, India comes to mind, is really going through the second wave. And there's like different mutations and stuff. Um, I, I really hope we're over this and 20, the rest of 2021 looks really good and we're in the clear. Um but if we're not, I think just being able to hop into like an RV, some kind of a, a, a vehicle you can live, live in and travel and see your own country would be wildly fun. And, you know, for people who are cooped up, they have the same idea because I don't know if you've ever, well, it's kind of a weird thing to go RV shopping on like Craigslist, but I've been doing that lately. <laughs> and they get snatched up in, like in days typically because other people have the same idea. Like Drive to Yellowstone, why not? You know, go to South Dakota and and go check out uh, Mount Rushmore and um, just have a little bit of an adventure and be within the confines of your own house as you do it. So that all sounds great, but if you can make that make that entire journey electric, I think people like us suddenly now yes. becomes almost like a fun challenge. It's long way up. It's like yes, ooh, the long okay, way up. Charge like, and yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's. I understand people have cabin fever, and this is like the perfect like recipe for cabin fever is to put your cabin on wheels and go where you want to and get out there and kind of <laughs> like disconnect and kind of recharge yourself because it's been madness being stuck in my house for a year. I'm not going mad. I'm not going insane. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Uh, but, so I get it. I get it. You're not um, alone. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah. I'm afraid of what will happen if you tell people, oh, you know, we thought we were over this. There's this new strand Everybody get comfortable. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't be go the... there. I can't go there. I got to have hope. I have to have that glimmer of hope. I'm getting, my, I'm getting my second injection, by the way, this weekend. Good. So I'll be fully vaccinated. Yeah. We didn't, I didn't plan on all of that before this. I had this trip that was going to happen. I'm, it's a bachelor party for my cousin who's getting married a month after that. So I have, a tr- I have two trips coming up. And my wife, superhero as she is, 
got me an appointment for in such a way that my second dose would be two weeks before I take off. So it, nice. it's going to work out perfectly. Yeah, luckily it just worked out. But Cool. Let's hope that this is, uh, we're over overstating it and things yes. return back to normal. I hope so. S- speaking of normal, Honda, I heard <laughs> there's some news. Yeah, let's talk about Honda. <laughs> so Honda has announced that they're going 100% electric uh, sales by 2040. But as this title says, there's a twist. And the twist is your definition of electric because electric can mean many things like fuel cell vehicles. It could mean hybrids. And to read the the top quote to me is the one that jumped out. It's in order to achieve our carbon-free goal of a tank-to-wheel basis. As the responsibility of an automaker, Honda will strive to increase the ratio of battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles with overall unit sales in all major markets of electrification combined to 40% by 2030, 80% by 2035, and then 100% globally by 2040. Now, I give them props that they're they're doing something, but this comes right back to they just don't seem to they don't seem to get it. It's it's fuel cell vehicles for passenger vehicles. That ship really has sailed. It's there's definitely hydrogen and fuel cells have their place but it's not going to be in a Toyota Camry that you're going to buy. It's going to be in something completely different. That fact that they're holding on to this for so long and they're still keeping one foot in that camp, I think it's slowing them down. And then if you look at the numbers that they break it up by the continent, so they, they break down their estimates for North America, for Europe, as well as Japan specifically. The one that jumped out at me was their, their numbers for Japan are lagging behind everybody else. So Japan, they weren't going to be getting to, it was only 20% by 2030, where other countries are 40% by 2030. And when you read why, it's because they're trying to build out their uh, electrification and battery uh, manufacturing capacity in the country. And that just kind of shows you how far behind Japan is, is because they don't have the infrastructure and the materials and everything they need to do to build out batteries at scale to support Japan. So they're kind of lagging behind where Europe and the United States are going to be further ahead because they can actually get the supply chain working faster for non-Japanese cars. Um, to me, that just speaks volumes. It's just, it, once again, I just kind of shake my head as to what Toyota and Honda are doing. And we are seeing Toyota come out with, we've talked about it numerous times over the past several weeks. We laugh about, oh, Toyota's not doing anything. And then they, they bring out one EV. And it's like, now here's Honda. We've been waiting for to hear what Honda's doing. They're doing something, but it's once again, it just seems so out of step with the rest of the industry. What's, what, what's your reaction? What's your take on all this? You know, I was, I was really nervous about this entire, you know, climate change and like reducing our dependence on fossil fuels. So I, when I read this article, I was just relieved. Like 2040, you know, Honda's like everyone, take a deep breath. We're we're gonna be fine. Honda's got this. <laughs> no, um, this is it, the, it's kind of absurd. Projecting out to 2040 to me almost seems embarrassing. Uh, I, I read this like Honda. I think it's cute. You think you're gonna be around in 2040 if this is the kind of your approach, because. If not not in the very distant future, in a couple of years, like gasoline cars are gonna just just seems silly in comparison to what you get uh, when you switch over to electric. And what really bugs me is their projections. They're they're doing this game, right? It's let's get through the next 10 years and their numbers are really meager. 20% you mentioned in Japan, 40 like worldwide, which is 
very, very low compared to most other companies and what they've said they'll do. Forget about mm-hmm. action. And they're really saying, oh, but by 2035, we'll scale it up to 80. And by 2040, it'll be 100%. Um, I guess that it sounds reasonable or realistic, which is okay. But I think at this point, you have to have a little hustle and you have to do something kind of different. Um, I had an interview with Sandy Monroe today to talk about a future video that I'm going to uh, publish. And he had a really good in, in, insight into what it, why these legacy makers seem like they're just so slow to react. Um, we were talking about the Gigapress, for example, that they're using for the Model Y, the rear uh, assembly, and for the model for the Cybertruck, it's that that casting is going to grow even bigger. And the machine is an eight thousand ton Gigapress. We've covered this in previous episodes. And I asked, you know, if, if Tesla's doing this, like, why isn't General Motors or Volkswagen? And he was saying, well, they have factories where they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on end stamping machines and assembly lines and welding machines and, and all of this stuff. So you're telling them, okay, you've already spent $100 million to make cars today. Now, why don't you go change that to go buy this other machine to go do this to then have a car? It's not sexy. Like, no one will see it. No one's going to go, oh, man, I, I, I love this unibody casting. <laughs> I can really feel the difference. Like, no one's going to notice it. So companies are just... They have the wrong incentive structure. Like they've they've already built gas cars. They've already built them the wrong the old way. So it's just the innovators' dilemma, kind of all over. So yeah. um, Honda's even more bizarre because they're saying they're going to use General Motors Ultium yeah. platform to to launch a couple of cars. Which, it, to be fair, that's how Honda introduced their first SUV, the Honda. I think it was called the Passport back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was just a rebadged Isuzu Rodeo. So they were like, you know, we don't make SUVs. Let's see how it does. It did really well. And now, you know, all their cars are SUVs. So maybe it's a, you know, the Japanese are a very conservative bunch. We've talked about this. I'm trying to be optimistic, but the whole story just kind of smells like, okay, so every other company has announced their targets and now you feel the need to do them and yours are just pitiful in comparison. So where does that leave you? (laughs) At least you've spoken, I guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah. not, Not a lot happening for us to be talking about from from the Japanese, I guess. But yeah, yeah no. that's kind of the, the nature of it. It's sad. Yeah. So the next one is, <laughs> is a lot less sad. Yes. It's pretty cool. And I, I'm actually curious what your take is because you've talked about topics like this in the past and the pros and the cons. This is about the world's about to be launched, the most powerful tidal turbine in the world. And it's coming to be off the coast of Scotland. It's a two megawatt tidal turbine. And, you know, that's, we're talking about the the amount of electricity that you would need to power, you know, hundreds of homes and remove 22 tons of of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere each year, and that's all great. And it's a this is a pretty massive thing. We talked about the largest wind turbine a couple of episodes ago. This is similar concept, but now under the water, so you don't even see it. So birds aren't going to hit it. But my question really about this stuff is. I've been watching some documentaries on the oceans lately. And you know, one thing people always say is the ocean really is kind of like the heart of the planet. And we don't think of it like that. We think of it as like the land is the heart and the ocean is just this em- largely empty thing. But a lot of what happens in, it happens in the oceans. We, we think of our trees as being the great sources of carbon, uh, of oxygen generation. But all the al- algae in the oceans does a lot more than the trees do. So it's just a different scale, perhaps. So I kind of wonder, how will this affect marine life? Is it going to have other adverse effects? It kind of reminds me of your video, Matt, you did on wind turbines and how bad are they? I think it was the yeah. title you did. Yep. So I can I can see a future uh, undecided video talking about this. But we've done a lot to to mess with 
waterways and our oceans already. Like hydroelectric, hydroelectric for example, when we talk about dams, they do a lot of damage. Like a lot. You know, down, down supply of the, water we, of the waterways that you're, you're damming up. Salmon can't swim back upstream to do what they do. There's a huge impact to it. Um, we think of it as a clean energy, but some of these forms of clean energy have a lot of adverse side effects. And this one, I mean, we're talking about, you know, meters long, meter long turbine spinning at some RPM. You want to play the video? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I, I don't know. The, the cool thing is, again, we're, we're using... Invariably, all the power we have on Earth comes from the sun, right? So, or, or this, in this case, kind of the moon. The moon pulls the oceans in different directions. So we have tides coming in and out. Why not harness it? It all sounds great. What's your take on this? I, well, there's the part of me that thinks the ingenuity behind this is just awesome. I love the engineering. I love the, just the thinking outside the box and coming up with a solution like this. Because it's a standalone thing. It's not like you have to have a boat that, like, pulls it out there or does something with it because it is the boat it is it's a self-contained thing that you just put out there anchor and you can see the giant blades about to start spinning and i'm with you that this specific kind of solution while it seems awesome it's what is the impact going to be on ocean life because this <laughs> some of the things i was looking into when i was looking into hydroelectric dams it's like there is technologies where it is very safe for uh, the environment for animals to not get hurt in blades like this that are spinning. But these things are spinning so... They're not spinning like 1,000, 100 miles an hour, but they're spinning quick enough and they're large right. enough and have enough mass that they can really hurt an animal. So the question is, what are they going to do to mitigate that? And some of these solutions do have things designed to prevent animals from getting hurt. This one, <laughs> I need to dig into it more, but that was the first thing that came to mind was this seems awfully huge <laughs> and awfully damaging so it's like it was it was i had that concern but depending on where you put it depending on what sea life's in the area depending on what kind of things they put into place to try to protect things this seems like a very very cool smart approach that is going to give you 24 7 power that's the other thing is like where wind comes and goes ebbs and flows it's intermittent same thing with solar this kind of stuff you can count on it pretty much producing something 24-7. So it's part of the mix is what I think makes this so appealing and interesting. And it's, I think of all the coastlines, of all the of all the world that could put something like this into place. It's like, when you think about solar, it's like, what is it in the United States if we built something that's like, what is it, like a 100 mile by 100 mile grid of solar panels, we could supply the power of the entire country. It's like, how many of these would you need just sprinkled along the coastlines to do the same thing. It's like, we're obviously not going to do that, but if you do a little bit of this, a little bit of solar, a little bit of something else, it's like suddenly you can get to that mix that you need. So I'm all for trying this, but there's just a giant question mark of what's the ramifications of doing it. Yeah, to me, I think about the scale of it. If we had one of these off the coast somewhere, that's not going to impact a whole lot. Yeah. But if Scotland has you know, has hundreds of them and then Norway does the same and it, you know, Finland does the same and suddenly we're just entrenching our, our coastlines with this, um, that that could start to have some impact, especially because, like, you know, you've, you've probably seen those uh, videos of, like, the humpback whales or sperm whales that are, like, you know, uh, traveling along the coast of California. They go up to the Seattle, Vancouver area to, to breed. Yep. 
And that's where like the orcas try to like box them in. And now you have all these obstacles and stuff. Um, it's hard to it's hard to know fully. Uh, you make a great point, which is, I mean, two megawatts of power. We're talking a huge amount of electricity. That would be great, and it's it, it's predictable. The off uh, the coastal turb wind turbines are also pretty predictable for the same reasons. Like those, yeah. the winds over the oceans are pretty reliable. Like they they happen for the most part almost all day. So that part is nice. Also, I think maybe an aspect of this, and I'm curious what you think about this. Maybe I've been watching too many documentaries lately. That's probably true. But one of the things that a lot of people are bringing up to think about is like the great, the next great shortage or commodity or, or, or war will be on for water because we are rapidly using up all our fresh supplies. You know, we're sucking aquifers dry and we've got all kinds of, you know, issues with con- contaminating groundwater. So one of the things we probably need to all be thinking is we got to start getting like desalination on a large scale. Mm-hmm. And so you can couple that with something like this to power the huge amount of energy you need to do desalination. And then couple that with like lithium mining maybe off of from that, from the runoff that, you, you know, you evaporate off from desalination. There's probably some whole scale approach and you, we need clean energy to do it. So I, I kind of see there's some synergy there maybe between tidal generation and desalination, maybe there's some, maybe there's something we can work work through. What do you think? Yeah, a whole ecosystem built around a holistic view of using every part of the buffalo. I hate using that cliche, but like it's right. it's that kind of thinking of, well, this can lead to this, which can lead to this. I, I like that 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 kind of system is what we need to be doing. But sadly, a lot of these companies are focused on just one thing. Like this company is building just that thing, and I don't know who is looking out at the bigger picture. I don't know if anybody is. <laughs> So it's, yeah. how is this going to get all pulled together? That's the big question. Yeah, because we're already struggling right now with how we're using electricity, trying to make that green. Yeah. So now if countries or entire continents are going to be trying to desalinate water, they, the consumption of electricity is just going to skyrocket. So there's there's some things to consider. But I'm glad research is happening in these kinds of arenas, and um, it should be interesting to see how it plays out. Did they mention that article when they're rolling this out? It's very soon. I can't remember. The look. Yeah, but some of these things we talk about seem like, oh, here's something we could do. But this this stuff is happening. Like, there's probably orders on hand, and they're they're probably already in the process of getting approvals and environmental considerations. And it it doesn't gonna, say. It doesn't say. Okay. It's built and it's functioning. So it's like it's it seems like it's imminent. Probably whenever they get the approvals to do this. Yeah, I guess that was our last story for the day. And there is not going to be a Q&A section tonight. I'm going to miss the Q&A. It's fun. It's fun talking to everybody. But what we could do is we could do a, um, we'll do this as a premiere so that we can see the comments. We can kind of chat as we all watch together. Yeah. It'll be weird watching us for a while. <laughs> it's going to be a little weird yeah. seeing myself and then commenting <laughs> on what I just said. That's going to be a little weird. And uh, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and hit that notification bell in case you miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 8 p.m., except for this week, but we're every 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and you can always listen to the podcast version of the show at viceversa.show. And as always, thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next one.